Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to The Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. Have you reached some of your goals, but it's not sustainable, or you know there's more for you? And you're wondering what's next? Wondering how you can make the impact you know you really want to? Do you need help developing your leadership capacity? If you want more intense support to articulate and accomplish your goals, you may benefit from the Superpower Mentoring Program. I don't often offer this. I actually usually work with large organizations um, in a, a larger capacity, but I am opening up a small mentoring group, one-on-one, a small group of women that will work with me directly, and you'll have each other for accountability and support as well. Uh, So it's something we're trying at Well Woman Life because we've heard from you that you want more support, you're ready to take that next step. And so uh, we're trying this out. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash work with Giovanna. And I am going to share with you the framework that I developed based on my both academic and practical background in policy and systems change. Um, and I developed this framework the, called the uh, Well Woman Life Cycle Framework Um, to really help women identify their challenges and where they are in the well woman life cycle so that we can then figure out what you need to do next. Um, And depending on where you are in the well woman life cycle, there are different things that you should be focusing on. So you might be focused on the wrong thing or at the wrong time. And, um, you know, those kinds of uh, supports can really launch you into your next level of your best life. So um, if you're interested in that, we are going to be starting that in May. If you're listening to this in May 2018, um, go to wellwomanlife.com slash work with Giovanna, G-I-O-V-A-N-N-A. And the dates are there. We're going to do um, monthly webinars with the group um, and with me presenting 
And if you can't make all of the dates, it's okay because we're going to do replay of the webinars. Uh, but it also includes one-on-one mentoring with me. So if you have um, a big goal that you want to reach or you're in a major transition uh, or, or totally burned out in your professional life or your personal life, um, this work can, can really, really help you. So um, I'm excited to hear from you. Go to wellwomanlife.com slash work with Giovanna if you think it might be right for you. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today's topic is how to lead a movement based on issues that impact you personally, but that you see could have a much bigger impact. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to be part of the movement to revalue the work of caregivers and not take it personally when you experience a setback. On the show today is my guest, Ellen Bravo, who directs Family Values at Work, a network of coalitions in 27 states working for policies such as paid sick days and family and medical leave insurance. Previously, Ellen was the director of 9 to 5, and she's written several nonfiction books. You can find out more information and links, as well as a storybook to accompany this episode called The Impact of Our Wins at wellwomanlife.com slash 115show. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. And don't forget, we have Well Woman drinks every month. And the next one is May 16th. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash events for more info on that. And if you're in a city that doesn't have Well Woman drinks yet, and you'd like to start one, definitely email us at info at wellwomanlife.com. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication, and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Now to my interview with Ellen Bravo. I'm speaking with Ellen Bravo, co-director of Family Values at Work. Welcome to the program, Ellen. My pleasure. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. You're here in New Mexico um, to screen a film that you were featured in, um, Zero Weeks, and you have decades of activism and experience. And we heard in the introduction, some of, you know, what you've done, but I just want to kind of have you start by telling listeners, what is it that you're working on? And how does it impact women's lives? A long time ago, I realized that we can never achieve gender equity or racial equity, if we don't revalue women's work. And that includes caregiving. As long as women are punished by losing income and jobs and opportunities in the workforce because they have a baby or because they're caring for a parent or a partner or themselves, we'll always be behind, like $340,000 a a lifetime or more. And Gloria Steinem has often said, if we want women to be equal outside the home, men need to be equal inside the home. And that means... I know many, many men who are and would be good fathers, sons, and husbands, but get punished for it at at work. That needs to change. And also, there are a lot of same-sex couples who would like to care for each other in sickness as as in health and care for their children um, and are stymied because there is no leave. So it just is a common-sense thing. And what the film points out really powerfully is we're a total outlier. We are the bottom of the heap. 
I remember I spoke once at a White House summit on working families right after President Obama spoke. And someone told me that his speechwriter had to fact check twice because President Obama couldn't believe the statistics were as bad. He knew we were not a leader, but he really didn't know that we were the worst. And that's, I find that typical that audiences who see the film are amazed and ashamed that we're such an outlier. So can you share some of those statistics with us for folks who may not have seen the film yet? The good thing is uh, if you go to zeroweeks.com, the website of the film, you can see the little map, and it will show you all the countries in the world except for two, the United States and Papua New Guinea, with the only ones that have no paid leave whatsoever guaranteed at the national level. Yeah, I, I know it used to be three, so maybe one other one other country got it got it together, but but not the U.S. yet, right? Um, and the other thing that goes along with that that people realize after seeing this film is there are some problems that are hard to imagine that we'll solve in our lifetime, like global warming or um, terrorism. But this is something we can do. We know how. It already exists in the United States, in a number of states, certainly in lots of companies, and all over the rest of the world. And we know what it looks like. It's There are five states in the U.S. that have had temporary disability insurance programs since the 40s. And those are on the same model of everybody contributes a little bit, and it gets pooled in a social insurance fund. They were, they're all solvent. They keep people attached to the workforce. The people who administer those funds were amazed that they never spread to the rest of the country. And now all that we're doing is adopting that model. In the states that already had that, they're adding paid family leave, and new states are creating a model that includes both. But it's that same cost-effective, self sustaining model. It's not a requirement that employers offer paid family and medical leave because we know that many small employers just can't afford to do that on their own. They are partners with us in wanting this because it means they can do what they want to do, which is help their staff be good family members as well as good employees. And they can compete with bigger companies that can afford to do it because of this fund. Okay, so we know that there is a solution, and um, you're working state by state, it sounds like. What about a an overarching you know, solution for the whole country? Well, that's the point. The reason we're going to trying to get a critical mass of states, it's not a 50-state solution. There are many states that will never do this on their own. But it, just like lots of other workplace reform, it's to demonstrate the model, build the evidence, show how it would work, improve the model, and at the same time build the momentum and the movement, which is what where we are. I mean, I believe that in the next five years we could do this nationally. Um, and so in order to get to that point, we need a, a sort of a critical mass, so to speak, in terms of um, a group of states doing this. And so what needs to be in place in a state for it to work? Well, We've won now in six places, and there are five more states that could win in the next two years. Um, what, what works in all of them is 
building broad and diverse coalitions. So we have partners who care about health, who care about early childhood, who care about seniors, who care about ending poverty, ending domestic violence, who care about you know, the LGBTQ rights, labor people, but also business people. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing is centering the stories and the experience of the people who are most impacted by this, but also showing that it's a universal, almost everybody is impacted by this and that this solution works. So we also include economists and other researchers and experts who help show the facts. And we have to also be willing to take on the opposition. There are, unfortunately, um, corporate lobbyists, money in politics, who try to convince legislators that you'll be sorry if you do this and we'll go after you. Um, but we are changing that as well because more and more people, the support is so high across the political spectrum, including the majority of Republicans, certainly the majority of independents, and that politicians are realizing this is not just good policy, it's good politics. And Ellen, can you give us an example or two of families that whose stories, you know, you, you could share that have been impacted by this work? Uh, on our website, familyvaluesatwork.org, if you go to resources and toolkits, you'll see a number of storybooks, and one of them is called The Impact of Our Wins. And it just gives the stories of a number of people in states that have won and what it meant for them. And what's really great is the story of fathers who've been able to bond with their babies, but also been able to spend time with an older child with special needs and give them the attention they need to turn that around. There are people who've been able to care for a parent, people who are able to care for a partner or themselves, and what it means in terms of healing, family well-being, economic well-being. Okay, and um, if people want to learn more and see the film, they can go to uh, Zero Weeks website and also to your website, yes. Family Values at Work. Yes, so if they want to host a screening of the film, there's a way to do that through the website. Um, and certainly if they want to become engaged, the good news is that there are lots of groups here in New Mexico that are excited about starting a campaign for family leave. There's been a memorial that people should explore how to do this, and that's happening right now. And so I encourage them to get in touch with groups that can be part of that fight. Okay, great. And um, we're going to um, move into our segment called Superpowers for Success. And Ellen, I usually ask um, my guests these questions because I interview leaders like you who have really made an impact in the with your work in the world. And so it's helpful for you to share some of those experiences and lessons learned with other women and men who... Um, you know, who, who really want to see their work making an impact and sort of how, you know, how did you do it? Because I want to do it too kind of thing. So um, the first question I want to ask you is, what does success in life mean for you? Well, for me, success, first of all, it has to do with my own family. And so 
I'm lucky to have two wonderful sons and a great partner. And, um, you know, we, he and I are proud of having raised these lovely young men. So that was part of success in my life. Um, much more than ever money or, um, I think success meant getting together with other like-minded people and finding ways to transform the world to achieve the kind of justice that we knew was needed. And so it's been an enormous pleasure watching people with very little money, time, or resources um, see that, that what happened to them, that they couldn't stop on their own, they can change by working together with others. That's the greatest joy and success of my life. Okay, and just a side note here, how did you actually get started? Because I know you ran an organization that was the um, sort of impetus for the 9 to 5 movie that we all saw decades ago, right? So how did you get started? What what happened in your own life that made you think, I have to do this? A number of things. Uh, one is that I grew up Jewish at a time, you know, that there'd been a, a Holocaust and I I feel like I always knew about it, and I had a lot of questions about how nobody stopped it. So the idea that you should stand up against injustice was something I grew up with. My parents, I had this experience um, that my, when I was, I have an unidentical twin and a brother who's just a little bit older than we are. And so my mother had been a full-time parent. My father was the only person who worked until we were teenagers. And we didn't have a lot, but we were okay. And then my mother went back to work so that she could save money so that we could go to college. My father had an accident. It turned out that it was because he was developing cataracts and couldn't see that he had this car accident. But he had to heal from the car accident and then from each of the eye surgeries. And basically, he was out of work for almost a year. And suddenly my mother's income was our only income and we were not okay. Even though my mother was a social worker and smart and skilled, did important work, but got paid too little money. So those lessons, I didn't absorb them for a while. I just thought that's life, that if you're a woman, you make less money, that it was life that my father had no income while he was recovering from this accident, these injuries. Um, and then at a certain point, I found out that, oh, that's why that happened, that this is because of things that we can change. Um, and then I had two kids with no paid leave, and when they were little, I had a job that had no paid sick days. And it wasn't a sweatshop or a big box retail. It was the phone company that said, you can't be sick for five years. And I thought, surely there's something wrong with this. And all the things that I cared about, about equity and fairness, I realized this was a key component. And so I got involved in fighting for women's, working women, and particularly on work and family. But it is, it, when it really comes down to it, it's not just sharing the information, right? It's not as dry as that. Because I, you know, we can share information right. here, there, and everywhere, and, and people aren't, aren't inspired by it. So somehow you were inspiring people through your own personality, experience, stories, I think what inspires people is connecting to them, 
saying that you care about them and helping them tap into a sense of possibility. I really object to the word apathy. I think what happens in our country is that there are a lot of people who feel disenfranchised. I don't believe that people are voiceless. I think that they are not heard. No one's listening. So I've always seen the role of an organizer to help people get heard, to help them realize they have something to say and they have to develop a vehicle for them to say it in a way that it will get noticed. And, you know, I'm proud of being part of a movement that is a leaderful movement. I learned that word from the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think it's really a great concept that it's not about having one leader who stands out. It's about having many, many leaders, and not so much that you create those leaders as that you help people recognize those qualities in themselves and then make them, you know, improve them. So, Ellen, you have been doing this work for decades, literally several decades, and you still have so much energy. And we were talking before the interview started about, you know, people ask you, like, how do you keep going? Um, what, how do you keep going? First of all, I, I do want to know that, but I, I would like to know, how do you take care of yourself? What, what contributes, like, what daily habits do you have that really contribute to you putting your oxygen mask on first so that you can be Ellen Bravo out in the world? So I always object that people use the word tireless about me because it implies that people never take a break. And um, I have always had a very full life. I work hard, but I work out. So when I'm in Milwaukee, I do Zumba four days a week and total body three days a week. And when I'm on the road, I try to adapt some other way of doing exercise. Um, I love being with my kids and my friends. I like playing games. I like reading, and I also write. I, I've written a novel, and I like to write fiction, and I have another one that I hope will get out in the world. So, um, you know, doing those things, there are things I don't do, and that I have to say have made, I was been very lucky. I married to someone who loves to cook. I don't cook. And when you think about all the time it takes to think about what you want to eat, get the preparations, make it, I just, I have a, a relief of not having that time. That's been a bit big help. Um, but yeah, I feel like the most successful people in our movement are those who understand the value of having community and having activities and seeing the beauty in the world and, you know, making time for themselves. I remember people would be surprised that I took vacations. I thought, why on earth? Of course I take vacations. I'm fighting for everyone to have time to heal and relax. Why not? Yeah, no, I love that you're giving that example because I I have spoken with very many leaders who are, can tend to workaholic and not have any um, balance in their lives. Balance is an elusive sort of thing. I don't know if we ever reach that like balance, but you know, the, the give and take the, the vacations, the reading, the writing, you know, being involved in things that you're really passionate about. I think that keeps you going. And I I think there's a misconception that like, we have to be working all the time if we're going to accomplish, there's so much to do. We just can't take a break. Here's the key. The thing that makes that possible is knowing that you're part of a movement 
And the only way your movement will succeed is by having lots and lots of people who are participate. If it's up to you or you and a few others like you, you'll fail. And so the, the very thing that you need for yourself, which is to be a whole person and have all, room for these various things in your life. And by the way, I also watch a lot of TV and laugh a lot is for the way that is what's needed for the movement to succeed. The fact that there are many leaders and many activists is what makes it possible for all of us to have that time. Ellen, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? It's a really good question, and I'm not sure I know the answer, but I'll just give this example that um, I didn't know um, if I could write fiction. I really always wanted to, but I, I, I just didn't know if I could. And um, I was really pleased to realize that the power of telling story and sharing, which had been part of my organizing work for a long time, also translated into um, writing. I love that. And what do you do when you have a major setback, when you feel like you just got knocked down and you've got to get back up? How do you handle that? One thing I try to do when there's a setback is keep perspective. Um, I have a phrase I say to myself all the time, um, the world won't end because X happened or because I made a mistake or because this thing happened. So part of it is being part of a collective that you're not on your own trying to figure it out and you analyze together what happened, who, where were we, could we have done better, where were we outgunned and outspent and what can we learn from that. And so the more you see it, see it as um, part of your routine to analyze that rather than to be stung, um, I think, and also the fact that you have others that are thinking that through with you, that helps. I think that takes a certain level of um, maturity, but also personal development, because, you know, to really objectively look at how did this happen, and not take it personally, and not feel like a complete failure um, and and look at it and say, how can we move forward? That that's that's big. Well, and also, it wasn't. If you know that it isn't just about you, then it's easier not to take it personally when it doesn't all work. That's great, great tip there. Okay, uh, what advice would you give your twenty-five or thirty-year-old self? Such a good question. Um, I think I would, my 25 or 30 year old self didn't know what I just said and did take things a lot more seriously and personally. Um, and didn't have a long view and was more worried about, you know, if we don't solve this right now, what will happen? Um, I would have, um, told her that some of the male chauvinism and arrogance that she had to encounter to have a perspective about what it meant. And um, I think I've learned one thing I'm proud of is my ability to take on jerks and um, put them in their place. And so I would have liked her to know that that was there and, and look for it. <laughs> I love that. Do you identify as a feminist? Absolutely. Um, you know, I call myself a social justice feminist. I wrote a book called Taking on the Big Boys, and I describe what social justice feminism means. And it just means that 
if we say we are for all women, then we have to recognize that for many women, race and sexual orientation and other factors also affect what happens to them as women. Um, so we have to care about immigration. As a feminist, we have to care about police brutality. We have to care about, um, you know, poverty and so on. And um, that that isn't a different thing, that we are that and these other things. It's part of the, you know, all feminism means is um, equal opportunities and um, but it, but we have to recognize that the undercurrent of so many of the problems in our society are uh, undervaluing women and taking away control from women and, um, you know, forcing them sexually and in so many other ways. And we really need to reverse that. Ellen, I want to ask you, how important is the word feminism? I think people who are um, say, I'm not a feminist, but say that because they think they will be, there are stereotypes that go with it, you know, of the hairy, humorless, man-hating um, beast. And as soon as they recognize that and refuse to allow those that dominant narrative to determine what their definition of feminism is, they say, well, of course I'm a feminist. You know, if you read Chimamanga Ngozi Adichie or Beyonce or, you know, many other women who have come to embrace this term, I think you realize that it's, how can you not be a feminist? Mm -hmm. So my son's band, La Misa Negra, it's a cumbia band, and they have this great song called Dueña de Mi, I'm in Charge of Myself. And in it, there are many s slides from the Women's March, and there's one photo of him carrying a sign saying, this is what a feminist looks like. He's proud to say that, and so am I. I love that. And I think it's so important for us as parents to remember that it's not just about raising our daughters as feminists, but ra really raising our sons. I have one one boy and one girl, and it's really important to me to raise both of them, you know, in a feminist household. Right. I remember someone, when I, uh, the novel that I wrote is about date rape and politics. And at a book reading, somebody asked me what it was like raising sons. And like, when do you start talking about this and how? And I said, you know, it wasn't like one conversation. It was all part of how they saw the world. And they would no more imagine forcing themselves on a woman without her consent than they would steal someone's car, punch someone in the face. I mean, it's just, why would you do that? That respect and dignity are so much part of who they, how they see themselves and what they want for themselves. Um, so it wasn't like I had to ever say, watch out, don't get caught in a situation like this, because they would never imagine. Um, okay, last question. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? The book I'm reading right now is called Happiness by a woman named Aminata Forna. She's from Sierra Leone, an amazing writer. Um, books I recently read include Lucky Boy by Shanti Sakaran, a fabulous book. Um, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Anna Quinlan's new book, Alternate Side. So, so you're a big reader. I'm a big reader. 
I love it. So we we love collecting these reading recommendations from our guests. So we'll, we'll compile that and put it in the show notes um, on the website for listeners. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash podcast to get all those links. Ellen, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your wellwoman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Women Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Women Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. Music